Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Danielle Spencer to the Inside the Eight podcast. Colleen McGarity and I are really fired up to be back on the air. We haven't done this in a while, Colleen, and uh, nothing better than um, getting Danielle back on the show. I know I'm pumped to have Danielle as our first guest for, I guess, the new season, we can call it. Yep. Thank you, guys. Um, Danielle's one of my favorites, so um, we were just catching up a little bit right before we started this, and we kind of start with that as just Danielle, like, what are you excited about for this season? Like, it's going to be a big year, getting a lot of press, had a great year last year. And what are some big things that you're excited about? And we'll kind of dig in from there. Sure. I'm excited about having a full, a full schedule. Last year, because of the COVID restrictions, we were really limited. We could only have uh, an 11 game season, basically just conference only. We couldn't travel. So uh, I'm excited to play great non-conference competition in February. We've got Syracuse, Albany, Virginia, Richmond, Denver. Um, and then obviously our conference is really tough and, but, uh, excited to just have the ability to play a full, you know, 17 game slate and see how much we can improve across the course of the season. What was last year for you guys for COVID? Just your conference only? So it wasn't necessarily that it was conference only. It was our travel was restricted. And so it basically becomes conference only with the exception of playing um, UC Davis. Is the, the travel was limited to a 400-mile radius. And so, you know, there you go. Um, and then we, you know, we didn't have a fall ball last year. So it's just been great to have a, a full fall ball. Um, be able to have a preseason in January. Last year, our team didn't come back till February 2nd um, and just got kind of thrown right into conference play. And, uh, you know, it, we, I think we've been able to develop more and um, just have, having more time to teach and build out the culture is nice this fall and in January. And we'll so see what we can do. Technically, against- your first fall ball, right? Uh, no, my first fall ball was in 2019. All right. Yeah. And I was just getting my feet under me and then, you know, got the rug pulled out in March, 2020. So this might be, you know, fingers crossed. I don't want to jinx this. This might be my full, full year, a full year of coaching at Stanford. If I could have a full fall and a full spring season that, you know, although this is year three for me, that would be the first time that I've been able to do that. Put them both together. Crazy to think about. It's wild. Um, now, go ahead, Jane. So as you're sort of rolling into the season, what we were talking about right before we got on was that you're on your way to Hawaii. Yes. For two weeks, which is amazing. Yeah. And you were talking about, well, I'm going to try to finish up my meetings. And we're glad we made the list of uh, to-dos on this <laughs> podcast before you took off. And then I said something like, man, but it's so hard not to like get so excited about the season. And you made a comment 
but I'm so excited to be able to just have some time just to think. And I was curious, like, what, what does that mean to you? How are you going to kind of prepare in your head without any actual to do's just to start thinking about the season and what you want to do and stuff like that? Sure. Uh, I mean, a lot of you know, what I've learned over the course of the years, a lot of head coaching is, is management and to a lot of management and the benefit of coming to Stanford was having more support around our program, but more support comes with more management. You know, we've got assistant coaches, director of operations, volunteers, athletic trainers, uh, sports scientists, and, you know, uh, sports information. And so I find myself in a lot of meetings all the time. And um, so this is my favorite time of year coming up where I get to have some true alone time where I can really think. And I'm very curious. So I'm I'm either going to be watching film or reading something and kind of twofold thinking about our training. Uh, just like, you know, what, where do we want to have our focus when we get back? Uh, how can we make our preseason great from a training perspective, you know, in terms of what, what drills we want to be doing, you know, what skills we want to focus on and then culture, just thinking about, um, I've been reading a lot of Jerry Lynch. I've become a big fan of his. I attended a conference of his in the fall. Um, he's the one Kyle, like Kelly was influenced by him because he was the one that was working with Cindy at Maryland, Cindy and Gary way back years ago. Got it. And, um, he has a lot of like Buddhist influence and, you know, and obviously that was a huge source of our culture at Northwestern. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to be reading, reading and watching film and, I'll be on the JN3 platform for sure. Just yeah. Getting, it's like, it's like that for me is like Netflix for coaches. It's like <laughs> going in and watching other coaches present, um, just talk about strategy and, and drills and, and video breakdown. So I just never have time to do that when like our team is on campus and my staff is in the office. It's just, I never have time for that type of, solitude and, and true, like creative thinking time. So that's, like, that's vacation for me, kind of nerdy, but it's true. <laughs> Honestly, nothing it. better, nothing better than like lying in the sun and being able to take a break and like watch lacrosse film. Yeah. <laughs> it's so day. great. I mean, yeah. Cause you have meetings. You just said being a head coach comes with more, you know, responsibility, which comes with less time to actually, yeah. you know, you need to, you're, you know, always looking to grow the game. That's why you're on the JM3 platform and like grow your mindset of the game per se. Um, I'd love to get better. I know. Right. I'd love to talk more about the culture and like, uh, are there things that have been like, Oh, I love this part or this was so interesting to bring into this year that I didn't think of. Even the other day I was talking to my seniors and I was like, we're going to be koi fish, koi fish this year. I love it. We're bringing it back. (laughs) Like, they're like, what? I'm like, you'll find out. Like, you'll find out. Just wait. <laughs> um, I haven't settled in. I've been thinking about that. Like if we want to have kind of a mantra or a theme, uh, that's something I'm planning on putting some thought to, but uh, just trying to, just having time to build depth of relationships and build trust. So like we, I've got, you know, the team doesn't even know some of what I've got planned yet for preseason, but just things that we can be doing together as a team, um, before or after practice to get to know each other a little bit better outside of just, you know, on the lacrosse field and hopefully have that trust 
translate to onto the field. Um, and you know, you, you know, a lot about this call. And I was, I was telling Jamie about it when we spoke earlier this fall, but have kind of stuck with meditation ever since Northwestern. Um, just, I found it, I loved it as a player. I loved it for the culture of our program and we were players. And so I've just kind of carried it, carried it to the team at Dartmouth, carried it to the team here at Stanford. And we got really into it this fall. Um, and the team, I think, responded to it pretty well. I think they appreciated having some time to separate their very hectic class schedule as a Stanford student before, you know, flipping the switch into training mode. So I would say we got more into that this fall than we than I have the past two years at Stanford. And um, so, yeah, just just team building and building our identity, building our uh, mindset for who, you know, what do we want to be all about? What, you know, mindset connected to like style of play, but also just our, the personality of our team. So it's fun. I love thinking about that stuff and getting inspired by what other coaches do or other lead like leaders do. Totally. I mean, it's funny you bring, I obviously continued the meditation as well with my high school girls and we had uh, the tournament down in Dallas with the 2023s and like six or seven of my Penn Charter girls were like, can we meditate before the first game? I, I love like, it. Oh, I was like, that was the best thing I've ever heard. The best feeling. Well, you guys always hated it. Yeah. yeah. It's the best feeling when you get a little bit of, I feel like it's hard to get sometimes you don't get that reciprocal, like, yeah. are you liking what we're doing or, <laughs> and uh, that's, that's great. Totally. You know, one thing um. I was, I've been thinking about lately as it relates to culture and what's more important than at the end of the year, having your players fired up, happy, excited, not waiting for it to be over. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is something that like, you know, it, it's like kind of the elephant in the room because it happens a lot, even on good team mm-hmm. programs. And you could just blame seniors if you wanted to. Um, or you could just say, oh, because we had great seniors, we had this. Um, but, um, I was curious about your thoughts on that. I have a couple, um, that I tried last year with the high school team I was coaching. Um, but I was curious about you guys, like, how do you try to, cause like you can have your culture. It's always great in like February and March and into, but then all of a sudden something happens in the middle of the season. And usually it's because there's a loss or because the team isn't playing well, or they're tired or they're frustrated or, or someone's not playing as much as they want to. And, and this is when these, this, the lightning strikes, but I was curious about your thoughts on keeping the culture going because it's, it's so fluid. Yeah, I, I put, I've been thinking about that. One of the things that had me thinking about it was when I was listening to your presentation or your talk with Tony Holler. And so from like a training standpoint, not overtraining too much at the onset of the season where your players are just burnt out, like physically, just their nervous systems are just exhausted. You know, we want to be at our best in May. So I'm, I've been brainstorming a lot about creating like a slower build instead of just going so hard in preseason. And cause the, you're right. The energy is there for everyone, you know, for those first couple games. And then you're, then you're in it and it can get, to be a grind. And so I think from one thing I've been thinking about is just the, the training and 
really holding myself and my staff accountable to, you know, how can we have a really efficient practice and accomplish things and make our players better without having a three hour practice? Like, you know, and just, I've been getting a lot better at that over the past couple of years. I used to have pretty long practices, you know, ask any of our Dartmouth players or, you know, the first year here at Stanford. And now I've been really thinking about um, just how that affects the players, like men, you know, not so much physically, obviously, but just also mentally just. um, And so that's one thing I think that could help is being really smart to not overtrain too, too early um, to burn your players out that way. And then I think, uh, like saving things. So, you know, I'm not doing all our, our most fun stuff in January and February and saving. So maybe it's a, maybe it's an awesome surprise for the team. Like we've got some, we've got some clothing articles that we haven't released yet to our team. And I'm thinking about kind of strategically timing it like throughout the season. Um, so like, we've got some sweet new sneakers and a sweet hoodie. Like the team doesn't even know about this yet. And thinking about, you know, when's the right time where we can gift that to the, to the players. Um, we, we've done something, um, we refer to it as like our sticker board, but basically, you know, picture kind of like a, a spreadsheet, um, but in physical form, like on a poster board and on the left, we have all of our statistical goals for each game. And we come, we decide on that as a team. So like, what do we want our shooting percentage to be? What do we want our draw control percentage, ground balls? How many, you know, shots allowed? How many shots do we want to be taking? Thinking about, you know, how many fouls do we want to give up? And kind of have that be, that's like part of our team building process is is a couple meetings around that. And then all of our opponents at the top and then stickers. We've got little tree, tree stickers. So after each game coming together and win or lose, celebrating, how we did, how we met our own goals that we set for the game. And then uh, like for every, a certain number of stickers, there's some type of reward. So for, you know, you get 10 stickers, the players get to plan their own practice and it's a player led practice. You get 20 stickers and we're all going out to ice cream after practice. You get 30 stickers and we're getting new, new sneakers. You get in, you know, 40 stickers. we got a steak dinner on the coaches, something like that. And so, think incorporating little things like that helps when the monotony hits of season and having like kind of small goals that sell small, like celebrations, I think helps break it up a little bit. Um, so I'm still learning how yeah. to, how to be at our best in May, It's, it's, awesome. it's but getting better year by year. It's so key. And for people listening, Tony Holler, is um, an absolute guru and is kind of uh, of speed. And he's, he's really a performance coach. He's a track coach. And he taught me a lot. And, and, and really, it's a lot of less is more. It's about prioritizing performance. It's about minimum effective dose. And my experience along the lines of what you're talking about is that simply by practicing less, I used to feel like, well, I'm gonna not, I'm, not, I'm gonna try to not to burn everyone's legs out, but we're still gonna practice. We're still going to do stuff. And what I found was by doing less, not only were every, was everybody kind of fired up and ready to play, but, but there, was, there wasn't the monotony and, and they weren't kind of tired mentally or physically. And that's when I think the rub happens so much when, when coaches get frustrated with 
a team because the team isn't playing that well. They're, they're, they're usually because they're tired or bored. And then all of a sudden they're, you're just get irritated as the coach and then they, they can feel it. And then all of a sudden they take something personally, you say something you didn't really want to say. And then next thing you know, that's where the, that's where it's kind of hits. And so uh, mm-hmm. I learned a lot from the feed the cats mantra. And it sounds like, you know, you've uh, been thinking along those same lines. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because I think so much goes to the beginning, Daniel, you know, you have this hard fitness test, you have like hard week, like, is that beneficial to then be tired when you're trying to then put in your like most important place or your most important, like X's and O's. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, I think we, the fitness test for me isn't going anywhere because at least for our players, they do well when there's a little bit of a carrot, you know, it does, uh, it's, it, there's an, it, it, there is an effectiveness to knowing that they're going to get measured, tested, you know, when they return from break and, uh, they respond well to tests, you know, they're, they're Stanford girls. Uh, but, but I have moved on from doing something that is a big surprise or something that's really hard. Like, so we, we, we use the yo-yo assessment. It's, it's basically like a beep test, but there's a lot of data behind it. A lot of the different teams at Stanford use it and we just, they know, they know what's expected. So I think it, we found a balance between like our players kind of feeling respected in the, in the process of fitness, but also knowing that we're going to, we're going to run, you know, it's lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I've moved on from kind of thinking about what's the toughest thing that I can do, yeah. you know, and I'm, it's like, there's no secret. They know exactly what we're doing. And I found that that helps with the accountability piece. Like, what do you mean? You, you're not ready to, you know, you're not ready to perform well. You've known what this, what we're doing for months now. Um, and so I think it helps them kind of just buy in and not create, I don't want to create fear around something like running is it's part of what we do. It's part of being a great player. And so I don't want there to be a, a bit major fear around it. Um, yeah. Well, two, two things on that. One is real quick is uh, I, I do think that I think a lot of people try to make things really, really hard because they want to generate toughness. But, you know, I think your tough players are going to be tough and your not so tough players are going to not be so tough no matter what you do. I think toughness can be a little bit have to do with confidence, too. I think sometimes people can seem not tough, but they're just lacking some confidence. And then later on in their careers, they're plenty tough because they're confident. But if you if you if you beat them down to try to de- develop this toughness, your tough players are just going to be tired. <laughs> and they, they're not, they're not going to be any more tough. I don't think, I think that, I think, you know, when people compare it to military, it's like, well, you're really trying to weed people out there. You're not trying to develop them and get prepared for, a, for, for games. Um, and I found if there's, our, our players are really smart. So they, if they can, when they buy into something, then, then we're on a roll. So like, if I'm just doing something that's tough for the sake of being tough, but there's not a clear purpose of how it makes us better. Yeah. They're smart enough that that's not, you know, that's hard to buy into, but like we do, we'll do tough drills where ground ball drills are tough. Hell keep away is tough when yeah. you've got good D one defenders, you know, in a game of keep away. Like, so I think, but then they understand the purpose of how that drill is making it better, even though they might, you know, also feel like it's challenging. Yeah, for sure. So 
I think you just have to have that balance. Yeah. You can do tough things if your players understand how it's making them better. Yeah. As opposed to just trying to beat them down. Right. Yeah. All right, let's switch gears. You, you made a comment earlier that I, th- I was really interested in, Danielle, where you talked about style of play. How would you articulate your style of play? Jamie, I have fully, I'm fully drinking the Jam 3 Kool-Aid. I'm all, I am all in. I've, our, our style of play is completely transformed over the past couple of years. Um, I mean, it. I mean, everyone who knows me now at this point who works with our team and uh, so, you know, we're running a, a box style offense and we're incorporating two man game and everything we do simultaneous action We're and it's, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, like Colleen knows that I was a Dodger in college. Like I didn't have a lot of feeds. I wasn't a great, you know, off ball player. Like I, I was, give me a ball, clear out. And when I first started coaching, I kind of coached what I knew, right. And like, what was in my comfort zone. And it's been cool for me, like for people who know the style of player that I was, and now as a coach to have, we had one of the top um, assisted offenses last year, you know, like one of the top um, in the nation for assisted goals per game. And like, that is not the type of player that I was. And so I feel proud and it's, it's fun it's, it's become really fun for me to coach this style where, um, we've, we've really taken on to like, one of the things I actually took this from the, the Stanford basketball team, but the idea of uh, pointing to the passer, it's like, after a goal is scored, you know, who are we celebrating? Let's celebrate the passer or let's celebrate the player that set the pick or seal that helped us score a goal and like celebrate those hockey assists. And our team has, uh, really bought, there's just such a teamwork in this style of play that I think our players have really bought into it. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, that's, that's our style of offense, uh, and defensively hired a new defensive coordinator this summer, Brittany oration. She came over from Jacksonville. She's crushing it. She's, you know, curious, passionate. She's like eats, sleeps, breathes defense and lacrosse. And she's been bringing a lot of, um, exciting stuff, help seeing if we can cause some more turnovers. Um, and then just, you know, I've always been, the draw has always been very important to me since, since our days back at Northwestern, where you, we learned the value of winning possessions through the draw. So I'd say that, you know, a little bit of a reflective, our style of play is trying to win do, you know, win possessions well on the draw, um, have a, have a team offense that incorporates two-man game everywhere. And then, you know, trying to, trying to find the balance of, uh, you know, defense that doesn't allow um, too many quality shots, but can also cause turnovers. Love Let's it. stay on offense for a little bit. And Jamie, I know you probably have some follow-up questions, but Danielle, like you said, I'm learning from Jamie all the time. That's why I I'm doing this podcast with him and that's why I work with him all the time. And it's such a different way of thinking of, you know, I guess what we were good at and like what you were amazing at, like dodging. I mean, so many phenomenal athletes that just could blow by people so easily. And what would you say is the hardest thing getting your girls to understand that, that simultaneous off ball movement? Like, cause that's like, I know for high school and middle school kids, as I try and implement this with triple H and Penn charter, it's so hard to get them to understand they need to constantly be moving. 
I, yeah, I think a couple of thoughts that have helped me stick with it is, you know, it can be pretty ugly at first, you know, until players start really kind of making the reads. It, it can be, sometimes it can be a little ugly. You know, if a defense is just switching on everything and the player doesn't understand, you know, what to do when a defense switches, it can, you know, look, not look great. Um, and then with the simultaneous action, I think one thing that has helped our players is, you know, players tend to, to ball watch a little bit and just getting them to kind of think about, you know, when you, when you start watching the ball, you really should be watching your defender and also just getting them to work with someone else and just, you know, they tend to pick that up a little bit faster with the ball. And so I found to, that we need to do more drills where there's an off ball focus because more of them, they, they tend to, you know, be better early on at the on ball side. Um, but just getting them to, you know, watch your own defender a little bit more and wherever you are, you should be working with a teammate somehow. And, um, I think that that has helped create more simultaneous action for us is it helps give them a little bit of a sense of what to do. You know, obviously learning the reads has helped too. I think that's a big difference between like where we're tr trying to get to this year versus last year, last year, we're kind of doing the right things, but now we're trying to actually make, actually read the defense. And that's been an evolution over the course of really trying to stay with this style for a year now. Um, uh, but yeah, those are some keys that I found that is, have helped uh, with the making it simultaneous and having true, true off ball action. What's your take on coaches? I think sometimes feel like, well, I've got these amazing Dodgers, you know, how am I going to let them dodge if we're doing all of these things? And I think some people kind of don't realize they're not mutually exclusive. These, these actions of two man games on and off two man and three man actions on and off ball. Um, you're, I think personally, your best Dodgers will have, more opportunity actually for unassisted goals where they'll get all the way to the goal. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, uh, you know, for people, you watch, I mean, Izzy Skane, Lauren Gilbert. I mean, those are two great dodges that are, that are able to dodge in this style of offense. Ali Biako for our team at Stanford, you know, when I first came in, she was a, she was a dodger, you know, and she had to kind of, there's a little bit of relearning about how to dodge, where you don't have a 10 yard run in on your defender and being able to dodge close to your defender. Um, but if you're a good dodger, you're going to learn through just, you know, repetition of playing close to your defender. And then they figure out how to manipulate, you know, getting their defender to, to lean or bite on something and then dodge in, it's just dodging in a smaller space. But to your point, Jamie, the benefit is that the slides aren't there as frequently. Whereas if you're dodging, from a huge ISO, you know, anyone's going to slide to that unless they really think that their matchup, you know, is going to, going to stand where when you're dodging out of two man and three man game, it's less predictable. Uh, so it's way harder to slide to. So I agree that I think you, it's, it's a misconception that you, you can't get um, goals through dodging. It just, it just looks a little different. And for players early on, it, it feels different. They have to get comfortable to play closer to their defender. Um, and then over time really feel, feel the, feel the effectiveness of it. 
Yeah. Um, it's less about dodging on command and dodging at a particular time from a particular place, um, right. which obviously is an offensive advantage. If you don't do that, it's a defensive advantage. If you, if you do that, because right. everybody sort of sees it coming. Um, yeah, you're like dodging off of an instinct because it's the correct thing to do. Right. Rather than drawing it out and telling everyone to get out of your way. Right. Right. One last question on this. Um, how do you, how do you, how would you articulate the importance of the ball movement to go along with this? I think our players have they're smart, right? So they understand the idea that, listen, the more that we move the ball, the more that defenders have to turn their heads and the more that defenders have to change their role from being on ball, off ball, two slides away, one slide away. And so it's just explaining to our players why and helping them understand why, why more ball movement. And, you know, they're smart enough. Oh, well, we're going to score more. If we're moving the ball and turning the defense's heads more, forcing them to constantly be changing what role they're playing in the defense and what communication they're saying. It's, we're just harder to defend. Um, so, and then, and then you can incorporate it. If, if your team's still struggling with it, you can incorporate it into drills, you know, where you, you, you know, you're running drills that force the issue of ball movement. Um, so that's what I would say is, um, and, and there's, there's this whole style, there's, there's a, a ton of unselfishness to it. Like the only way it works is if you are not concerned about who is scoring the goal, it is, that's the only way it works is, is what I've been learning is you can't script exactly what's going to happen. You know, you have to just, just, just do the work. And I say to our offense, just like, let it marinate. You know, like just do the reads, move the ball. And when the, the right opening is there for the, for a high percentage shot, like that's when we go, we don't force something that is not there or a look that is not there yet. Either the shot is not a, a you know, a high percentage shot or, um, you know, one person, you know, wants to dodge or feed and it's, it's forced. And so, um, I don't think any players are naturally selfish at all, but when you, when you recruit great players that are used to playing a different role for their high school teams, I think that's part of the learning process for them. It's like, Oh, I don't, I don't have to do it all. Like I can just, you know, like, and even just getting them to understand, like moving the ball doesn't, there doesn't have to be some big purpose, like just swinging. Yeah. You're not, there's no, there's no plan. We're just, you just, you, we've had it for a little bit, just swing it now. And like, don't think about necessarily what comes next. Just, just do the, just do the work and the openings will come. Um, and so there, but there's gotta be a ton of unselfishness to that style of play of not thinking about you go in thinking, I'm going to try and score this goal. It's going to look really ugly. <clears throat> awesome. It's interesting too, because then they're like, oh, I feel like I'm constantly just swinging the ball. Like, you know what I mean? High schoolers or girls that like, but then I'm like, well, now your mind is because you didn't do anything off ball. Like you, right. if you're only thinking, oh, like I'm, I'm constantly swinging the ball. You feel like you're not involved in the play. Yeah. But I always tell them like, there are the six other people that are not in the play that need to be doing something without the ball. Right. 
So true. And, and it's so much harder for a defense to guard you when you do, when you work with somebody than if you try to get open by yourself. If there's it forces communication between two defenders. It's, it, right. it's funny how it's something that I was, I was pretty like, I, you know, what I, when I first started getting into this in 2020 was when I, it was during COVID that I finally said, okay, now's the time if I'm going to be sitting at home for X number of months. Now's the time where I can really dig in. And I dug in and really just got out of my comfort zone and started learning this style of play. And then once you see the benefits and realize how fun it is to coach, like now I'm all in, but at first it was, it was scary. There was a vulnerability for me of doing something that was outside of what I would normally done, had done as a coach, had had the style of play that I had played myself as a player, but yeah, it's kind of, it becomes kind of obvious. Like, well, of course it's harder to defend when you force two defenders to communicate. <laughs> like, you know, it's it just, just kind of, it becomes kind of simple of why, why it's effective. Um, but I did, I did have to go through a period where I decided like, okay, I'm going to get vulnerable here and get out of my comfort zone with a style of play that was a little bit, you know, more foreign to me. So cool. Colleen, you want to dig in on a little, uh, defense? I do. Um, I, your conference in general plays a lot of zone. Like are yeah. you guys, man, are you zone combination? Yeah. In the hiring process, when I was interviewing Brittany, you know, we played man last year. And so I'm a little bit reluctant to like be putting in something new every year. I think great offense or defense, these things take time and you have to have patience as a coach. And so I was really, so the reason I mentioned this is because Brittany uh, at Jacksonville, their zone was really good. They were top 10 for each year for, you know, and cause turnovers for scoring defense uh, top 10 in scoring defense and she's his own girl. And so we talked about it a lot in the hiring process of like, listen, I think our team, there's, there's a loss of trust. If just every year we're switching up the defense and there has to be a, a buy-in of, listen, we're, we're seeing the, we want to see the long-term benefits of a certain style of play. Um, but so I'd say we're still man, but it's been really awesome having Brittany come in with this zone mind. And, um, you know, so we've, we've put in zone as well. And, uh, you know, do I, I don't, I think the plan is not necessarily for us to try to be great at both right out of the gates. I think that's pretty tough to do. I've only seen some teams do that really well. I know like Duke women's lacrosse did that really well last year. They were switching like in a game, you know, running man and zone. Um, but most of the time, you know, teams that are making it to the, the level that we wanted to get our program to their, their defense has a clear identity and you get really good at one thing and maybe you have a backup for that helps with your scout or um, kind of out of desperation. So, um, but just having her zone mind is going to help our offense. I think a lot prepare for all the zone opponents that we're going to have to see in our conference. Um, and I'm not against zone at all. I just don't want to, I, I, I want to settle into things and have the long play of building a style and then letting your players really settle into it for a couple of years and then getting really good at something, um, instead of just being good at a, at a couple different things. Um, totally. 
I mean, yeah, you look at basketball teams, you have to have both. Yeah. Right. Like, you know what I mean? But they're clearly are going to, you know, lean towards one that they're better at, right. but you know, you're going to have to adjust. Um, cause say it's not your day or say the man's getting picked apart or whatever it is. And, um, now speaking of the man, do you guys pressure out really far? Like we used to, or are you kind of in between or not that far? Uh, I, you know, in preseason, we're going to, we're having our girls pressure out a little bit more early on, just kind of getting them comfortable with pressuring out. And we, we feel like it's easier to reel the players back in, um, as we get it underway, than not practicing that way. And then asking our players to pressure out more than they're used to for a certain game. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, we're pressuring out the, the only challenge I've found is like, you know, with the style of, of our, the way of our offense plays, you know, our defense sees that every day. And so I've had to be pretty cognizant of doing things for our defense where not every offense plays that way. You know, some, a lot of offenses will run kind of the ISO game and that, that, you know, when you're used to playing against two men every day, and then you go play against an ISO, it's, it's different. It's not, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? It's just different kind of communication and reads for the defense, but um, making sure that we're not always just running our offense against our defense. If we're truly trying to prepare them for season and all the different offenses that they're going to see. So, um, you know, uh, some teams are in more scripted set plays, you know, and when you're used to running a, uh, you, you would think, oh, wouldn't that be so easy to defend if you're running, you're defending a team that moves the ball really quickly, you know, has simultaneous action in theory. Yes, but it can be, it can, at, at early on, it can cause a little bit of like fear or trepidation for the defenders when all of a sudden you are going against an offense that really wants to kind of sit on the ball and run scripted looks. And it's just different, you know, so trying to help make sure our defenders feel confident going against different styles of play. Um, and that's where Brittany's great. Like she's, she's studying all that film and just having an identity and a language, um, a culture on the defensive side of the ball. And um, it's been fun to see those guys like just take a ton of pride in what they're doing. Um, That's awesome. Can't wait to watch them. Yeah. So, but yeah, we're, we're, we're pressure out. Mm-hmm. How do you, um, how do you play picks? Uh, funny you ask because, you know, <clears throat> I've kind of, I, I am a big fan of like the Jerry Byrne philosophy of like, don't play the pick, play the ball. Um, and, you know, uh, I don't think, I think, you know, coaches who maybe aren't used to this style of offense who say, Oh, well, you know, we stay, we switch, <laughs> you know, any, any good offense, you don't, you don't get to pick how you play it. Like you, you do both. You don't switch every time. You don't stay every time. You know, you can't just go under every time. Uh, so I think getting our players to understand like the, the reads defensively of, Hey, you don't need to switch here, you know, or you, you need to switch here. You are getting invited over the top of a pick. Like you need to switch here or, um, uh, times where they can just stay and go under. So honestly, it's a little bit of a little bit of everything. Um, I would say that as our offense gets better at like manipulating a de- if a defense that's just going to sag and switch on everything, our defense realizes the vulnerabilities of that. 
at first it feels easy to just switch all the time. And then they start realizing how that can really put the defense in a dangerous situation too. So, you know, you can't, you can't just high pressure everything, but you can't also just sag and switch on everything. Um, so, uh, I would say if I had to really, really choose, it's that we're primarily playing the ball, but we're going to switch as needed um, and, you know, get under picks. But um, <clears throat> we're not going into the mindset of, of one way. Oh, of one side. We switch on everything. You know, I think that all, as soon as an offense starts making that read, you're, you're in trouble. <clears throat> I like, and it also puts, ownership in your defenders to make the correct decision. Yeah. If you say you're going one way, you find that practices, especially in the lower level in high schools, they'll be like, Oh, but you said to switch. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, you know, that's the incorrect thing to do. You got to make a decision there. Like athletically, like you got to stop them there, you know? So I think it puts the ownership on the defenders, which is putting trust in them. Yeah. I've learned that on both sides of the ball. Like it's kind of like an under, if I overcoach it and tell it, this is what you need to do every time then it takes away their decision-making. And it's the same thing at the offensive end. And that's been a big learning process for me too, with this style of play. Like as I learn new things, I'm like, oh, you got to do this every time. And then I, I wish I hadn't have said that because then they, they just want to show me that look. And it's like, well, you didn't actually, if you read the play here, you, you wouldn't have done that. So that's been a big learning process for me is like, don't overcoach it, you know, let them, you know, they have instincts on the field of what, you know, defensively, whether to stay or switch or offensively, um, you know, whether it's a, a good time to cut or not, like I, I, uh, you can't script it too much. Uh, mm-hmm. cause then it takes the, then they're not thinking for themselves and they're just trying to do what you want them to do. Totally. Would you say that one of the reasons why you want to play man is because you feel like you've got athletes that can defend one-on-one? Uh, there's a part, I would honestly say the biggest reason why I wanted to play man was the ability to, so we ran zone at Dartmouth and the only challenge that I experienced is players start to get really good at a specific zone. Right. And so if you're shifting your lineup, um, frequently there can be challenges with that of like, you know, this one player, she's really proving herself in practice, but you know, now you got to put her in a, in a new zone, you know, where this other player who's, you know, played the last six games, they got really good at playing that position in the zone. And so I felt like sometimes just for like making lineup adjustments, there were some challenges there in the decision-making process. And then even for drills, just drilling at practice, like, um, you know, players, if you're running a good zone, usually play, players aren't playing everywhere. They really settle into a certain area. And so then you have to practice for that style too. And I felt like running man just allows us to have more freedom to, I don't have to think about that much in our practice planning um, of like where a player is in the defense. And I also don't have to think about that with our subbing during a game or, um, you know, players naturally, if you're a low defender and, you know, but in man, there's a little bit more of like, you got to be ready to play everywhere. Um, and it, 
there's challenges with that, but it does make it a little bit easier for, for subbing lineup changes from game to game, uh, practice planning. So that honestly was like the biggest reason, um, uh, but, but sure. Yeah. I want to, I want to, but I don't necessarily think that I, I'm, I don't, I think that's like an outdated view to think, oh, well, you know, zone is if you don't think your players can athletically match up man to man, like great zone is great zone. And if you've got great athletes, they're going to be sick in a zone too. And your zone's going to be better if you have better athletes. So no, doubt. I just I'm think- not sure, but I'm not sure you can play great man to man if you can't cover in women's lacrosse because Agreed. if you start sliding all the time, yeah. might as well just play zone. Agreed. I do think there's that. I, I, yes, but I don't sure. think that if you have, if you think you've got better athletes and that means that you should be playing man, I think yeah. coaches just find a style that they love to coach, you know? I know I'm bringing basketball up again though, but like, it's the same thing. If you're really talented, fast athletes, they're probably going to play a one through one because they're going to pick off a bunch of more passes because they're yeah. more athletic to see the read and fast enough to make the interception. Right. So yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, you might just be more versatile, which pretty obvious if you're more athletic, you probably have more versatility. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good transition though, too, because you're talking about subbing. So usually Colleen has questions about how you play A mids and D mids and draw type stuff. You want to uh, take that, Colleen? Yeah. So, I mean, Danielle, do you guys run a couple lines? Do you do A mids, D mids? You're seeing a bunch of different things across the board. Um, I mean, back, like, it's just funny thinking about I, Maryland when we play against them, you used to never sub their minis. And I'm like, how do they do that? How do they, they do three that? minis the whole entire time? It's crazy. Well, uh, clock. <laughs> yeah. True, yeah. True. true. Um, I mean, I've been, I, I get curious about seeing what other coaches do and I've been in, I, I think the biggest way that I can kind of explain where my strategy that I've arrived at is I just, I truly want our players to feel that if you're playing well in practice, we can find a role for you. And I think that if you settle into a certain system where this, you three, you three are always on the same midi line and you guys are always on the same midi line and your players start to think that way, then, you know, they're just to, to one of the things we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast is how to not have your players get burnt out and players are going to get burnt out. If they feel like there's no way I'm going to get on the field, the, the, the lines are set, you know, or these are the positions are set. And so, um, I've tried not to get too locked into any one we run, we run three straight mids, you know, that's what we do. And this is the line, or these are the A mids, D mids that we always run and trying to just have the culture where, Hey, if you're playing well, we're going to find, we're going to find a way to get you out there. Um, and I feel like we learned that a little bit at Northwestern, honestly, of like you're a yeah. ground ball animal. We're going to get you on for the draw control. We might sub say, you, Kelly sub did a great job off. of like writing people on the board. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, all right, even if you didn't get that many reps, you were included in the mix. Like yeah. I'm going to find a way to get you out there. Yeah. And so I think it's a challenge. Um, it's been a, I mean, it's, but we've got some more depth. So, I mean, thinking about the lineup, that's a lot of, spent a lot of time thinking about that and we're having players feel you know, if you've got a lot of good players, um, you're trying to find the balance of if you're constantly subbing all the time and you don't really have people settling in together and some of that on-field chemistry that does make a difference down the line. Um, but if you're never subbing, then what's the incentive for players to, fee- to 
train really hard at practice. Um, so just trying to find that balance of not overdoing it. Can't play. I cannot play all 35 players if we want to have some semblance of team offense and team defense and a little bit of identity at both sides. But you also have to have your players feel that they can get better over the course of the season. Maybe you weren't playing in February, but you've been crushing it. And well, it's April now. So if I have the same exact lineup, you know, um, so, so yeah, we're running, we're running lines. Um, but I haven't settled into, there's probably going to be a mids and D mids. Um, I think it helps us on both sides of the ball. I was going to say, do you think the a mid D mid is a, you know, tactically better for you guys transitional play like in the ride and, you know, I mean, I think like last year we ran three straight mids. And so I remember going up against, you know, if you run it, if you're playing against an opponent, that's just running an amid like one and one on each line, you don't see too much of a difference with that. You might get one, you know, transition goal because you had three straight mids out there and, and they, they were running someone off, but it was a huge benefit. If we were playing a team that was running two amids to the box um, and we had three straight out there, we saw, we did see some more fast break goals, you know, or you can maybe, maybe you get one, one more cause turnover in the ride because you're, you're not running anyone to the box. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a, a strat, but we would, we would talk about that in the scouting report. Like, Hey guys, we're running three straight. They're running people to the box every time push the ball in transition, you know, like goalies look up over the top on your clears. And so um, we haven't decided yet of like, I, I can't go into it with a, this is how we do it. I have to just look at the players and think, what does she do really well? And then is that a straight mid? Is that an A mid? Is that an attacker? Cause she rides really well. Is that, you know, maybe she'll be a midi next year, but right now she's just D mid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and it really comes down to efficiencies. So if you run a significantly better defense efficiency wise. Yeah. With D mids probably better off doing that and same thing with amids and as it relates to the giving up transition and on the ride stuff part of it i think is i think you got to be smart with the ball because if you take bad shots or have bad turnovers you're going to give up transition probably either way you're definitely going to give it up if you're subbing but if you don't it's kind of like in basketball you know the teams that run win in the regular season but they don't win you know, in the NBA, they don't get to the final. It's usually the, the teams that grind out possessions and have high efficiencies at both ends. Right. And that's the risk reward of, you know, we can't play everyone because the, you, you see that the teams that are at the, you know, they're right at the end. If you've built out a certain amount of chemistry with certain players and an understanding of, you know, the, your style of play with a group of players. And so it's just, just trying to do a little bit of both um, mm-hmm. and we really want our players to feel at any point during the season that if you're playing great, that you can get on the field, which is hard. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Last topic recruiting. Since you have a style of play, you know, we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. How has it changed the way you recruit? Uh, we have talked about this. So I've been thinking a lot about it. It's funny. I actually was, uh, I was watching a, I think I was watching a masterclass with Gino 
and I was, he was talking about recruiting and he said, he said the number one thing that he looks for in players is great feeders. And I just thought that was so interesting. And he, he basically was like, he goes, listen, we've got all, all Americans on the court. He goes, someone's going to be open and I need the player that can feed them the ball when their teammate gets open. You know, he goes, they all can get open who can feed, you know, their open teammate. And that was like kind of revolutionary to me. And I, I was, is like, I've all, you know, feeders, I've been thinking about it in such a traditional sense of like, Oh, I, you know, I need a Dodger and I need a feeder and my, you know, my feeder will play behind the cage. And like with this style of offense, like you're going to be great when all your players can be feeders and they can all, you know, have their head up close to their defender and, you know, and that's how, if you want simultaneous action, if you want players embracing their role off ball, they need to feel like when they get open, their teammate sees them and can hit them, you know, and you don't have one feeder. Uh, and so that's been a big shift for me is thinking of like, when I go and watch players, you know, I'm tend to drawn towards just like, you know, the powerful Dodgers, you know, the runners. And I'm really trying to force myself to think about who can feed and, and again, and again, we, we built that into our style of player. Like when we score point to the passer, you know, don't celebrate the goal score, celebrate the, the girl who fed it to her, you know? And so feeders, um, lefties, <laughs> uh, with this style for sure, it puts a lot, a higher emphasis on, um, the value of, you know, having players that really love playing on the lefty elbow. Um, if we're, if we're playing kind of that sides style, um, um, and then just having players that are great off ball too, like just, just the unselfishness of, you know, not having all Dodgers in the offense, um, players that, that, that can feed players that want to do the dirty work off ball that they're not always cutting their ceiling for someone else, you know? Um, so Honestly, I haven't gone through a full recruiting cycle with that philosophy that I feel like I've developed over the course of, because this offense has been every single day I'm learning in it. And so the more I learn it, the more it shifts the way I want to recruit. Mm-hmm. Cause I just see the value of, you know, certain players for us on our team right now. Like, you know, I've got a player who she's not the best Dodger. She's great off ball. And she's like always setting someone else. She's like always setting a great seal for her teammate or, you know, just like those things are valuable. Um, and two years ago with our style of play, she probably wouldn't have gotten on the field because she she wasn't a good Dodger. (laughs) And now with this style of play, it's cool to be able to reward players who, who are willing to play, um, you know, who, who can showcase their strengths differently than like the traditional model. Yeah. What's better, a goal and assists, a hockey assist, a pick assist. Right. They're all, they're all great. They're all great. You know, you keep talking about playing close to your defender and I know what it means, but it's hard to evaluate that when everyone's saying get big all the time. And, and next thing you know, everyone's like outside the 12 and the defense is at the eight. And it's like, it's so painful to watch. I hate to say it. It's just so much more fun to watch people that are like doing something rather than just staying wide or moving over to one side while one person goes one-on-one. Well, that's where I mean, like as a coach, if there's any new coaches who are 
you know, and we're not, we have not arrived at our destination. Like we are a work in progress completely with this style of play. Like, but early on it can get, it can be not pretty. Like if your players are, don't really, you know, they're still learning the reads they're too far away from their defenders. And I, I, I can imagine like the, the vulnerability point of a coach of being like, ah, this isn't working like, ah, you know, don't, don't pick, just go over there, you know, and you gotta just kind of like, just have the patience and then you, you know, to see like the benefits, but it took me, it was early on. Like I had to be pretty patient with it and I still do because our defense gets better at defending it, you know? And so it's our defense get better, gets better at defending it. And then our offense has to build out new, new reads. You know, the defense has gotten better. What are you going to do now when your defender does this? And so, but there's a lot of patience on the coaching side. Um, yeah, I know we're on the, uh, the recruiting topic, but there are analytics in other sports and in men's lacrosse that need to come out in women's lacrosse that, that tell us why two-man and three-man actions uh, create better shots, mm-hmm. assisted shots, sticks to the shots with your sticks to the middle, um, stuff like that. But um, Colin, you got any more questions on recruiting for Danielle? No, I guess just one final follow-up is like we usually ask our guests, um, Danielle, if you just give any advice to those that are getting ready for the process. So I guess that's the 24s, you know, some advice for them as they start to, you know, go through the camp cycle, go through the clinic cycle, start to freak out, calm down, you know, they have a big summer coming up. What's some advice for them? couple thoughts. I mean, every, every coach is different and kind of what they do with like emails. Right. But, um, I will say the IWLCA has done a great job of really building out like kind of one go-to place in the idea WLCA sports recruits platform. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I know a lot of coaches that are really looking at that, like, I read whatever the player has to say in their bio. I'm watching highlight film, highlight film. There's a lot more of it now, I think because of COVID and it's kind of stuck, like putting together a three minute highlight. And I mean, our staff, we're looking at those. So I do think that there's value in just, Hey, you know, have your IWCA sports recruits profile buttoned up. You know, if you got academic information, put it on there. If you got some high, you know, put a two minute highlight video together. Um, put it up, you know, say something about yourself. Like what's your, who are you? What do you, you know, what do you do? Like, um, so I think that's just one important key, um, that can go a long way of just having like, you know, good information available for coaches to, to see. Um, and then, you know, I just, there's never like, there's never a time where, I, I hear from club coaches all the time, you know, well, are you done with your recruiting class? And there's like, sir, you, you start to get to a period where you're not um, actively like trying to add players, but no, I'm never done. If, if a great player comes around, like, yeah, I'm going to recruit her. I'm not, I'm not done. Um, right. You know, I'm never done until she, you know, uh, uh, is going somewhere else. And so, Um, I think that just if players can feel like there is, there is a mad rush for players and coaches, you know, in that September one timeline, um, and there will, there will be players who will go quickly, but, um, any, most good coaches, like 
if you're a great player and you're, if you're really passionate about a certain school and, um, you know, you're not, they're not done in the fall of your junior year. Like mm-hmm. it's, yeah. the timeline's different for everyone. And, you know, just having people close to you that if you're one of those players, having people close to you that you can trust, you know, having a good a club coach that you can really work with, who can help you understand kind of where the right fit is going to be for you. That can help be an advocate for you to coaches. Like, um, I think that's helpful. Like, you know, most college coaches are going to pick up a phone. They might not pick up a phone call from a, a player that they don't know, but they're going to pick up a phone call from a club coach, you know? Right. And so if there's club coaches that are really doing, doing a good job of help, you know, helping their players think through the right fit for them. Um, and then, add, you know, community, helping them communicate with, with college coaches. Um, I think that's helpful is just, you know, each player should have, whether it's club coach, high school coach, someone that can help them and advocate for them is important because otherwise you're going to get lost in the shuffle of the 300 emails that us college coaches are getting. And some staffs are looking at them and some staffs are not. So, and obviously the camp piece we're trying to do like, we've, we're now, you know, we did a summer camp in July. We did a clinic in October. We're doing a winter camp in December. We're doing a clinic in January. We're trying to create tons of opportunities where if you're interested, come to our camp. You know, it's not just one date in the summer. We're trying to have five different dates over the course of the year. You could come to one of them. Um, Totally. I love that part. I mean, they got to do their homework too. They got to get their profile set up. It's not going to just be easy. You know, you got to work to make, you know, your profile is accurate. It's up to date. You want to be there. You're showing the effort. You know, it's, it's a huge accomplishment to get to land at a place like Stanford and, you know, keep working. It passed not over on September 15th. Not at all. Right. Take our, my favorite girls coming to Danielle this year and she was like a year late and she's a stud and she just kept working and ended up working out. She's an absolute stud and we're never done recruiting great players. Yeah. You got to keep getting better and you got to keep the faith and don't get, you know, sad. If, if you don't hear from somebody and don't get too hyped, if, if all of a sudden someone's watching your profile, I know some of these profiles is looking and it's like, all right, quick question. You let's just say you, you take seven players a year or something, whatever, eight, nine, whatever it is, you probably watch a thousand videos. Oh yeah. Just because you, someone watches your video a few times, Mm -hmm. you know, doesn't equate that, you know, it's, it'd be a lot more meaningful to get a text or an email or to have someone reach out to your club coach. Um, so, so I just sort of bring it up because a lot of people just like, oh my God, Daniel Spencer looked at my profile today. And it's just like, that's awesome. But it, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Just keep working. Yeah. Totally. That's true. <laughs> hey guys, um, this was so much fun. Daniel, have a great time in Hawaii. Thanks for coming yes. on. Yes. Enjoy. I always love talking to you guys and I love this podcast and everything that you guys are doing for the sport of lacrosse. So thank you.